Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to the EM360 podcast with our Ask the Expert series, a weekly conversation with people who are impacting the enterprise tech landscape. My name is Max Curtin. I'm the editor-in-chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Now, today, I'm very much looking forward to speaking with Bao Genovese, who is the Vice President, Corporate Strategic Research and Planning, Banking, Financial Markets at Huawei. And I want to give you a bit of background on Bill before I bring him on. So he's a strategic thought leader and highly effective professional. And he's provided solutions to the financial services industry on a global scale. Now, Bill's responsibilities include the further development of Huawei's financial services industry strategy with research and formulation of new solutions encompassing technology and business architectures. Emerging technologies centered on AI analytics, blockchain, quantum computing technologies, mobile digital and IoT, and evolving business models in the fintech, redtech era across the financial services sector. Now, Bill is the perfect person to be bringing onto this episode. So, Bill, thank you very much for joining me. Thanks very much, Max, for having me. No, I very much appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. And uh, I think what we're diving into today, you, you can give some great insights. So today we're going to be talking around 5G and fintech and the impact 5G is going to have, but also how fintech can kind of take advantage of that. So before we kind of get started, I think a good kind of jumping off question here is if we look at businesses in all industries that are waiting this 5G to deliver better services and, you know, fintech's no exception to that rule at all. So what kind of digital financial services are fintech companies awaiting 5G to enable? A very good starting point. And I'd like to kind of answer that in a couple of different ways. Number one, you know, start the discussion on the point that I feel 5G is not necessarily driving new business models, or in this case, driving next generation digital financial services or fintech per se, but it's enabling them. And it's a core requirement, okay? Many areas of fintech to be successful will require 5G investment and replacement of of older wireless technologies. Now, when I say wireless, that's where this is really playing into in context to fintech success. So if you're a traditional financial institution, or even if you are a fintech, You've got to have your strategy wrapped around mobile first and digital first, but it's really, really important that it's mobile first, okay, in the context of digital first and internet enabled, because 5G is a wireless technology. It's the latest generation of wireless technology. And when we then go back to the second part of how I'd like to answer that and answer your question, what kind or type of digital financial services need to think about it in terms of a basic consumption model, all more readily necessary in what's going on in the world right now, this crisis that we're facing with the coronavirus. So as humans, we consume financial services in really three basic areas of human need, okay? Number one, payments. We need to pay for goods. We need to pay for services. We need to pay our bills. And when there's a crisis right now, that's what's going on, and we're in quarantine and we're in lockdown in many countries and cities, we can't get out, but we still need to digitally pay for things to survive. Can that be easily done and seamless in 2G, 3G, or LTE? Well, possibly, but depending on 
how complex the service is and how much interaction you want with the other individual or individuals on the other side of the transaction, it may not suffice. So number one, payments from a digital or mobile device requires better levels of connectivity, and this will vary country by country. You know, do you need to have 5G to make a payment in London or New York City from your device? Probably not. Okay, but with traffic overload and everybody using wireless networks and internet networks, certainly helps if you do have that and you're in a location that does have that. Okay. Second piece, which is very, very relevant, you know, crisis or no crisis, even more focused in a crisis state is if we don't have enough money, we need instantaneous access to credit and lending. And it could be on a small scale or larger scale. So once again, um, you know, you don't have enough to pay, you need to borrow. So that's the second piece in terms of next generation or digital financial services that fill two out of the three needs. Most importantly, the third one is really protection-oriented, protection of our hard-earned pay and our assets, our financial assets. So your deposits in a bank, your deposits in a financial institution, your retirement funds, so on and so forth. Okay, so you need to be able to access that stored financial protection and you may need to buy more insurance to insure yourself, health insurance, property insurance, so on and so forth. At this point in time, if you're in a more advantageous place, you invest. So you take advantage of situations where you have extra money that you're storing or depositing, and, and then you invest. So in a mobile or digital strategy oriented with a fintech, and they're taking that approach or any company, whether it's a traditional bank, e-commerce giant, consumer tech player, fintech, they're catering to those three core needs in terms of digital financial services consumption. And if they have 5G, they're able to maintain throughput, connectivity, bandwidth, latency, and they're able to get more to the customer to keep them happy, satisfied, and not only surviving, but getting back to thriving too. Okay, that's interesting, Dan. So if we delve a little deeper into that, with FinTech and 5G, what kind of synergy or relationship are we going to see them have with each other to enable what you've just been discussing? You know, in a post-crisis world, there's a lot of research and, and reading I'm doing on this where we're going to change as a society, new business models. We may not spend as much time in large groups, and we may look to spend more time with families in smaller groups. However, as we're apart from colleagues and extended family members that may not be close by and others, we're still going to want semblance of human interaction where we can see the person, you know, FaceTime, Zoom. These are all technologies, and that can extend to business. So you may want to have a complex financial matter that you want to talk to your advisor about. And you may actually want to go through some documents in terms of a fund or a banking product on the call with the individual. And it can't be done through a traditional voice setting, and you may need to have video. So this is going to kind of push the envelope further ahead in terms of our expectations now. That's how I see this playing out. So we were starting to get more and more interested in what technology can do for us digitally, and it became more of an expectation, but I think this crisis we're going through now is gonna to start to drive that even further in the short term, there may be a little bit of hit on fintechs in terms of funding, 
but those that have, once again, mobile digital strategies and leverage technology to meet those three needs I outlined earlier are going to be in a very key position to require and depend upon 5G. Yeah, I 100% agree with that. We're definitely in a game-changing scenario, not what's going on currently, but what's going to come afterwards. You mentioned some interesting points there. Yeah. And I think 5G will be a great support for that, especially as we're seeing a lot of businesses now seeing the ease of adoption of working from home, which I think is going to be a massive factor moving forward for a lot of organizations. How do you see that playing out with 5G and how that can support everyday working life? We have to see the outcome of this and how it affects our behavior. You know, me personally, it's already affecting my behavior. I'm in China now where the situation first kind of broke out. But still, okay, and things are in in control now better. There's no new cases where I live in China and Shenzhen. But, you know, I go into the office, I have a mask on and I come home. And then I'm not leaving my apartment. I'm staying with my family throughout the weekend. And my wife and children were very young. They haven't left the apartment in almost a month now. I would say if it wasn't for technology and digital connectivity, we'd all go nuts right now. I mean, because one of my sons is four years old, you know, and then there's my wife and then there's myself. You know, between myself and my wife, I think the average of digitally enabled connected devices is probably four or five in terms of what we each own. My son has a a children's Kindle that's preloaded with educational materials and content. So without that, you know, he would lose his attention span and it would be real hard to keep him inside the house because he wants to get out. And then from a business perspective, we're going to need further teleconferencing, virtual meetings, virtual conferences and the capability to probably scale and bring in more individuals and consume multimedia at scale. PowerPoint presentations, video, and so on and so forth. And it may even become easier as this evolves to do things through 5G remotely, through these technologies, than than we see outfitted in a lot of the world's conference rooms now. I think it may drive the technology adoption in a business setting further. That's a strong possibility. Obviously, we just kind of have to see how everything plays out and look at these trends as they evolve over over the next year or so. But uh, yeah, I I 100% agree. It is an interesting time for sure. There's another point I wanted to pick up on based on, on your last answer where you were talking about, obviously, where we're at at the moment and being able to kind of, you know, video call to share important financial documents or or talking about things over a large distance. One of the things that gets brought up around this conversation is security implementations of of 5G. And I, I think that's an important thing for us to address. It's emphasized so much more in fintech because obviously we're talking about money and sensitive documents and personal information. How do you kind of pacify concerns around security and 5G? It's almost like I kind of answer this question because it does come up quite a bit. And it's almost kind of like a chicken or an egg type answer, which comes first. Now, you know, some of the pundits that, you know, are concerned about 5G and security concerns don't understand fully the the complete technical stack, the combination of both software and hardware. And if you look at it from a 
classical network architecture and communication model perspective, open system interconnect, where you have seven layers in its application transport down to the actual networking layer and so on and so forth, even before we get into 5G, those are all attack points. And even before 5G, enterprises and corporations do not cover all of those seven layers effectively in terms of vulnerability. They may cover and protect themselves from distributed denial of service attack at the internet layer or transport layer. But have they covered everything that they need? How hard is their application layer and their software? So you've got to build security in terms of penetration and depth and breadth for all seven of those layers as a a reference architecture, one reference architecture standpoint. Now, I like to spin it around again by saying to build a 5G business case, what can that bring you? Some of the advancements in terms of advanced cybersecurity protection are artificial intelligence driven. So advanced biometrics, depending on either the fintech, the bank, the retailer, e-commerce giant, depending on the level and and breadth and depth where they want to protect two-factor authentication, password and facial recognition, as an example, or, or password facial recognition and fingerprint based on transaction type and volume, that will dictate and fuel the investment case for 5G because you're going to need more bandwidth, higher levels of latency and connectivity, that's justifying using those advanced technologies, biometrics, facial recognition, fingerprint, iris scan potentially, in a mobile strategy. So your investment in better security, the need for better security, is fueling the investment into 5G to make it happen, almost avoiding the cost per se. Okay, so it's having that kind of loop on effect where one can kind of benefit the other is that right that's correct another point though just on that last scenario i want to leave you with Mm. because it's very 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 personal and and it answers your question and it's very very relevant so when i moved to china i completely sold my house and my car digitally without me physically being back in the united states the legal process of doing the closing with the lawyers was done digitally. In some states in the United States, I would not even have to go through the notary signing of the closing docs, and I can do that via video, live video. So the legal firm back in the US, as long as they see me signing the closing doc via video, so that could be a smartphone, it meets the requirement. All of what I just said, as we move more to that world, Buying and selling physical assets of several thousand dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars without physically being there is phenomenal. That frees us up so much. And it's secure. If that meets a legal requirement, that state of Virginia is one state that allows video notary signing, you know, as long as they can see me signing the document and I hold that up, then they're okay with that. So it's very interesting how, how that can change concerns about 5G and security in that respect. So only a couple of states actually run that service. Do you think we're going to see a worldwide rollout or what, what's the kind of holdback on not jumping on this sooner? Certain countries have that too, from my knowledge. I don't know the exact number of US states that have it, but it is getting more and more popular. 
I think what we're going through now is, is only going to necessitate more business models and legal models and less regulation reinforced by technology to meet those needs with less concern about security. And the scenario that I just outlined, there's no security concern or hacking because that can be further reinforced with two-factor authentication in terms of facial recognition and then also my photo in a, in a legal document. So it's kind of a cross-reference. Facial recognition, it is me that's on the video as referenced against my passport picture, and I'm signing the closing doc. More secure than a signature forgery or something else that predates video and the usage of 5G. So I don't see less of this. I see more of it. Who are the big players and, and what kind of business models are we kind of looking at with 5G and fintech? As one of the players and the other names that pop up, you know, in terms of device manufacturers and, and, and networking are Ericsson and Nokia. And then, you know, our customers in a B2B context are mobile network operators, obviously. At this point, they're starting to move into the MNOs more business cases. But to date, it's primarily been for branding and oriented around branding, higher performance. You know, so faster rates, enhanced coverage, less so on innovative services for content, less so on lower cost. The unconnected uh, is less of a concern, but that still comes up to some degree. But really the, the movement or the maturity to commercial cases in terms of strategy still is not quite there yet. I will say, though, those that are kind of pulling ahead in terms of business cases and business models, financial services is probably last to adopt this. And the reason is the strategy and the specific business strategy and functions that they want to move more and more to mobile or wireless has not fully evolved in financial services as compared to some other industries. So remote bank teller, remote advisor, but the crisis, once again, coming back to that, could change that and accelerate financial services more in this direction. But in terms of technology maturity from a business perspective, 5G and what's being looked at, and then scenario-based economic value, you know, we're kind of looking at manufacturing remote robotics, remote wireless surgery at a distance. That's getting some look at um, autonomous vehicles, connected car robots for healthcare. This is kind of exploding with recent events. It started in China and Japan, where you have many sick patients and robots are on the wards distributing medicine, things of that nature. You know, when you layer in other driving enabling technologies that contributes to these use cases too, cloud video will be there. So 5G will depend on cloud video for further adoption and further penetration, both from a scenario, economic value perspective, as well as technology maturity. And then augmented reality, virtual reality. We're very, very early stages with AR and VR as well. The timing of this scenario, I was just talking to my wife, I'm a, I'm a big concert fan, you know, live performances. And, you know, as younger living in the US, I hold 10 different concert tickets, you know, or, or you know, some, some sub portion of that, depending on who was coming through the area. 
you know, the situation we're in right now, a lot of the artists that I follow, I get three, four emails a day or every other day, they're performing live streaming events. You need a stable connection for that and you'll need 5G, especially if people are watching it over their device, their mobile device. The next step beyond having connectivity for 5G and cloud video is augmented reality and virtual reality. So uh, there could be a whole host of new business models and monetization schemes in multiple industries that capitalize on 5G and cloud video to start to move into AR and VR. There's uh, so many options you've just listed there that we're going to be seeing advancing. And, and it's very interesting. You're right. It's so apt that we're having this discussion at this time. We're seeing a massive boom in. You mentioned watching music a different way, the way cinemas are operating with uh, being able to stream content, the way streaming servers themselves are being operated. But we're also seeing complaints of people saying that bandwidth is being slowed down or the high demand is just too much for for people to cope with when everyone's kind of watching, streaming or, or finding other forms of entertainment. Obviously, 5G can be a massive help in that. Is that how they can kind of position and and move forward? And how much of an improvement can we see if this type of thing was to continue or let's hope not, but happen again? I think it's going to become a necessity. Technology is going to start to accelerate to meet the demands of society because behaviorally and psychology wise, we're going to change based on this event. You know, I'm an optimist by nature. Okay. It's not going to be smooth, but kind of a, a little bit of a futurist in terms of forecasting too. You, you start to intersect economic models, the concept of universal basic income. So if we all had a small amount of money that was paid to us for subsisting, small amount to pay our bills, live somewhere and eat, and we had technology enabling everything else that we need to kind of do, live streaming, social activities, keeping in contact with people far away, Then the question becomes, well, are we going to get bored? Or the theory is, no, we're going to become more creative to solving problems on our own because we're going to unlock our minds that are typically cluttered and and too busy from trying to get place to place, meetings to meetings, physically meeting people for dinner or drinks or what have you. And we may start to evolve further into more alone time. And then by our own selection, consuming what we need to consume, but we're going to be freed up more creatively. Now, fintech and other industries come into this because the ones that are going to survive and thrive are the ones that are going to be ubiquitous and embedded in what I just said. Those that break that mold that are going to force you to get into your car, drive five miles away or two miles away, and interfere with your creativity and what you need to do are not going to last. That's one theory. (laughs) It's a good theory. I do like (laughs) it. Uh, It leads me kind of nicely onto onto my next point. And and based on what we were discussing previously, you mentioned a lot of technologies and a lot of things moving AI, IOT, AR, VR, quantum to degree as well. Which companies do you think are best positioned to take advantage of all of this that's happening with revolutionizing fintech? That's a hard question. Now, the research that we're doing, and and this is part of my own personal thesis that I've been building up to for a number of years and then taking this into Huawei now, I think it's the companies that are going to see the shift 
both from a society perspective, an economic model perspective, a business perspective, to meet the needs of humans, to not hold humans back, but in times of crisis need and making their lives happy and enabling them to be more creative and solve problems, which is where our power is. Those are the companies that are going to kind of move the needle ahead. Specific context of financial services, that's why we're not traditionally focusing, or, or me a lot at the corporate level, driving the discussions and many times debates internally is we need to stop focusing with the traditional definition of traditional financial services and you only go to a bank for that. Well, you may go to Amazon for that. You may go to Alibaba for that. You may be able to, in many cases, buy something, have it shipped to your home, and then you, right from that one point of entry digitally, you check your balance and you can bring up your balance on your bathroom mirror before you hit the click button to buy. There could be a whole host of, of scenarios there, but the companies that deliver that ubiquitous, seamless experience, and actually I'd go a step further because I've been talking about this a bit with 6G. Now, the smartphone has had our attention bound to it probably in some respects in not a very healthy manner over time for over a decade now. So everything that we do, we need to check our smartphone and engage with that as an interface. You know, but wouldn't it be wonderful to kind of do what I just said, that as the consumer of digital services, you say where you want to see that information and interact with that in your daily life. For example, in a 360 degree sphere around you. So some of the information you may want to see on your bathroom mirror. I'm talking about freeing ourselves from being bound to a specific hardware medium and from a digital service perspective and using a convergence of technologies with 6G and beyond making that happen. Those platform providers that have started to converge business models and services together and that are now also taking the next step with technology, so AI and blockchain, AI to connect to devices, internet of things, your smart Samsung refrigerator, you can make a phone call, a video conference from your refrigerator door. I mean, you know, things like this. You know, those companies that build the platforms that do this in terms of open standards are going to be the ones that start to move the ball ahead, I feel. 100% agree in terms of everyone's got to be quite switched on and looking towards the future, which brings me on to my final question, unfortunately. But I wanted to kind of get your final wrap-up thoughts about what we've been discussing today, because we've been discussing a lot about future implementation and what's coming and what's going to be happening. So from our discussion, you know, it's evolving so fast and, and the possibilities do seem to be endless at this point. But what do you think we can expect or what are you hoping we're going to see from fintech and 5G as we move forward in the future? Well, I hope for more convergence. Broadly speaking, that's the term, both from a business service perspective, business model perspective, the sharing economy. It's going to undergo some adjustment now, but I think it's going to come back stronger than ever. Now, from a technologies perspective and also a fintech perspective, They've survived and thrived because um, they've solved problems faster, cheaper, better that traditional providers and then the fintechs have used different technologies to do this that the traditional providers have not deployed 
and they've, they've scaled to become more invisible in, in um, people's lives. But the challenge is, is you get to saturation, okay? Payments is a great example right now. You know, if you can make a payment, a cross-border payment, and you can do it for free or nearly free, it doesn't really matter who you get it from if the performance and the experience is equal, right? So to many respects, fintech is kind of repeating some of the errors that we made in the past with enterprises where everything's in its own functional silo. And we've said we need to flatten that and become more horizontal. Well, that's what's going to happen in the fintech industry. They're going to have to move out of these functional silos where they've disrupted the traditional players, and they're going to have to converge. So there is some evidence of that. So disruptive payments companies like PayPal, a personal example, I've had my bank relationship with Wells Fargo. I'm an ex-employee. 18 years now I've been with the bank. They've known me for nearly 20 years, two decades. Do they send me any personalized offers? been with PayPal for about half that time. I'm getting personalized offers now that say, well, based on your payment patterns and what you're doing, we can offer you a 4% cash back credit card. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, wow, okay, I don't store any money with them. They have no idea what I make per year, but they're analyzing the information I have they're integrating to the credit cards I integrate via PayPal. They probably can see my balances. They leverage the credit scoring from those integration points. And they're using the information very intelligently to move into the next pillar of what I need in my life, which is credit and lending potentially. That's an example of they're, they're coming out of their functional silo and going more horizontal. And those companies will have to evolve in that manner to get more and more into that space and evolve further. And the banks are going to have to do the same as well. They're going to have to pick where they're going to play and keep focus versus what they're going to more or less jettison that's already become commoditized. I think the bank, you know, looking at traditional providers, the bank's safest bet is just that. That's what you're kind of seeing in this respect, too. People still feel in terms of asset protection, deposits, store my money, save it, it's in the bank. And then insure it, federal deposit, FDIC in the United States. And then if I have extra money, I feel safe enough, I'll invest and go into wealth management. So that's the last pillar or last island. But I, I don't see the banks giving that up. And I don't see, from a behavior perspective, things shifting too much to disrupt that area holistically anyway. So it'll become more horizontal, you know, going back to your question. But I also see those fintechs that are able to build out a platform in a B2B context to go back to the banks and help them evolve. So maybe payments and credit and lending is outsourced from the bank to a fintech that can offer it with mobile and 5G. And then the, the FinTech is tied back to the asset protection and security and insurance of those assets to the bank. So that's how things can shift. But I would like to see somebody, whether it's a FinTech or what other kind of, or TechFin or whoever, come up with the idea of the platform model that I just said and uses open standards to take that to any industry 
and enable integration and digitalization for consumers. You know, and that's where it really gets interesting because that frees us. I mean, that takes us away from having one single interface, one device, and then depending on the, the data model and the services we want to ingest as humans and consume, that platform can be turned and pivoted to different industries. That's fascinating to me. <laughs> Obviously, this has been a case for a long time that if companies don't evolve, then they're not going to grow and they're not going to thrive. But I think we're definitely entering an era where that is becoming more definite for organization survival. So it's interesting to kind of watch this space and see how it's going to evolve and grow, especially over the next coming years. But I think it's going to be fast and it's going to be quick. Bill, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you today. So thank you for taking the time to come onto this podcast and talk to us. No problem, Max. I enjoyed it very much. And thank you for the invitation. Of course. Thank you. And thank you for everyone who took the time to listen to our conversation. We hope you took a, a lot away from this. If you want more podcasts like this, you can head on over to em360tech.com. You can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasting source from. We'll be back next week with another episode in our Ask the Expert series. Until then, thank you so much for joining us, and we'll speak to you soon. You've been listening to the EM360 Podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com.